Welcome to Fun and Fundraising, everybody, the podcast where we talk with people behind top nonprofit galas and signature fundraising events to showcase how they positively transform their communities. I'm your host, Rob Giardinelli, and today I'm really excited to have two great guests on. The first is Warren Tranquata. He is the president and CEO of the AT&T Performing Arts Center, and Chris Heimbaugh, who is the VP of External Affairs for the AT&T Performing Arts Center. That's a venue located in Dallas, and they're going to be having a gala coming up soon called the Bravo Gala. And we're really excited because it's really one of the really one of the best not you know best performing arts centers in the country. So we feel really fortunate to have both of them on today. So with that, Warren, Chris, welcome, and we're excited to have both of you on as guests today. Thank you for having us, Rob. Thank you, Rob. So glad to be here. Absolutely. So, Warren, would you be able to share a little bit about what the mission of the AT&T Performing Arts Center is? Sure. Happy to, Robin. And your question is timely. We actually just released a new version of our mission statement uh, a few weeks ago. So uh, your your audience is among the first to, uh, to hear this. And we've framed our mission now really with three parts, a purpose, a vision, and a mission. And the purpose are kind of highest um, lofty ambition is to shape the stage for life to thrive in Dallas. Um, beyond the the pun in there, which I rather like of, of stage, of course, I think the the real message we're trying to get in there is that as an arts community, we have an impact on economic development, on the way people are able to um, make sense of the world around them, um, and even from an urban economic, from an urban development standpoint, uh, um, the impact we have on city infrastructure, et cetera. Um, Our mission, which is really what we do, is to be a vibrant cultural hub that provides, operates, and activates exceptional spaces for artists, artistic organizations, and the community. And there really, we view ourselves as being an organization that can help bring to life spaces, whether they're the spaces that we own and control or spaces that we're invited into in communities around the city. And this is really ultimately, and this is where our vision comes in to enable economic and artistic growth in our city. You know, I love how you weave all three of those components in because they are really all interconnected. And I love how, Warren, how you really shared really kind of the journey of that. And, you know, I, you know, what I want to do from here is I want to talk a little bit about how each of you became involved with the organization and kind of how that, you know, and your passion, because that really, I think, will kind of speak to the mission a little bit. And, you know, I'd like Chris to start first, just because, you know, I'm a media person and Chris is a media alumna. So I want to hear a little bit about <laughs> your journey of how you got, you know, went from media and how you transitioned, you know, to, you know, being the VP of External Affairs at the AT&T Performing Arts Center. Well, it it goes back. Um, I moved here to Dallas in 2000. And at the time I was with Channel 8 and I was covering City Hall and Dallas um, at the time. And that is when really the 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 center, the campaign to build the center was really taking off. So I ended up doing stories on that and and other stories as the as the arts district grew, the Nasher Sculpture Center went in. Um, and One Arts Plaza went up. So all of this was taking shape. And so I was covering it from a journalistic standpoint. Then in 2007, I was the, became the chief of staff to Mayor Leppert. 
And Mayor Leppert was the um, mayor when this center finally was completed and opened. So I was kind of the liaison because now I knew all these people because I've been doing stories on them. And then in 2011, when uh, the mayor left his position, um, I stepped in and came in uh, here at the Performing Arts Center. I've been here 12 years now. Wow. And, you know, what made you choose, you know, you know, because really after you do a career in media, you, you know, the world is your oyster to a degree and so far that you can really do any one of a zillion different things. What made you choose the AT&T Performing Arts Center? Well, I, I uh, again, I'd kind of seen it from this small little idea and through the fundraising and had seen the idea grow and, you know, watched as what the vision behind the center actually became real. You know, at one point they thought it was gonna be all one building and, you know, it became the different uh, venues that you have here now. And that's probably good uh, for folks who maybe are listening, not in Dallas, but we have a 10 acre campus in the heart of the Dallas Arts District. We've got an opera house, 2200 seat opera house that is absolutely stunning, iconic, um, and, uh, and just this gorgeous red exterior with this canopy that comes out from it. Um, and then across the street, we have the Wiley Theater, which is a 575 seat house theater. And each of those, the Windspear and the Wiley, both have small black box theater spaces inside. And then we have the outdoor space, which is Strauss Square. It's kind of an amphitheater. And then, of course, the whole park, Salmon's Park, tying the whole thing together. So this is not just one building. This is all of them. And then watching these stunning venues come up out of the ground. And it was just exciting. And it, you know, for me, it just, it was a great fit. That sounds fantastic. Well, I, think and, to what, um, oh, I think what Chris, Chris was saying about the, the campus, it's worth noting as well for those outside Dallas that the, the center is in the heart of the Dallas Arts District, which is the largest arts district in the country. And on one street, we, we share a streetscape um, with two other theaters, uh, three museums, and one of the um, best high schools for the performing arts in the country, in addition to smaller gallery space, residential and commercial. So there's a whole ecosystem beyond our campus as well. Indeed, to the point that sometimes our customers aren't quite sure where AT&T Performing Arts Center starts and stops and where other organizations that are part of the of the district um, are engaged. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. And, you know, before we hop into how you initially became involved, because I'm really interested in your journey of how you, you know, you chose Dallas and came here is, again, you're tying it into, you know, the vision of and the mission of the organization in creating with all these additional spaces that there's when you're not sure necessarily where one place ends and one begins, it really creates this whole community where every type of artist person, regardless of the artistic endeavor they're pursuing, can potentially thrive, meet new collaborators. And I just, I love how you two explain that and how it's really kind of this cohesive space, even though there's distinct stunning buildings, you know, you're able to really kind of, you know, fuse them together really cohesively. So, you know, with that, I'd love to hear, Warren, you know, a little bit about how you became involved with the AT&T Performing Arts Center and what made you choose coming to Dallas and coming to Texas. Sure. Um, let me start by explaining how I got into the performing arts in the first place. I started my career 
in business, doing business consulting. Uh, and my practice became centered around nonprofits because of my passion for helping nonprofits think about long-term strategy, sustainability, earned income ventures, um, and kind of taking some of the ideas of the for-profit world and how they can apply in nonprofit context. I got into the performing arts um, because the New Jersey Performing Arts Center had been a client. And what really attracted me to performing arts was that it hit on several of my passions really cleanly. One was a complex business model that had lots of earned income elements to it. One was an urban development piece and the impact that anchor institutions can have on the urban, on the ur urban environment. Um, third is education and how the arts really engage uh, young people and help develop 21st century workforce skills. And there's a really nice connection there between arts education and what we need to be competitive as a society. And then on top of that, just the fact that I'm passionate about music and theater and, uh, and dance and those things are fun and uh, you know, there, was, there was an enjoyment to it. So they really hit on a lot of things. I was at New Jersey Performing Arts Center for uh, 13 years as a staff member and four years as a consultant. What drew me to Dallas was the opportunity I saw in Dallas in the arts district, this role of the arts center as an anchor within this vibrant neighborhood that is unique in the country and yet still has a long way to go in truly delivering that, that urban experience with viable restaurants that, uh, that are available. The idea that someone might think of the district as a destination that they can that they can come to not even knowing what is happening, just knowing that if we go to the arts district this week, something interesting is gonna happen. Let's see what's happening across the district. And I think there's so much opportunity here in Dallas. I also saw with everyone I spoke to who lived in Dallas during the interview process, they talked about this Dallas attitude of entrepreneurship and stick to itness, and that when Dallas citizens see a problem, they rally together and figure it out. And that's led to so much innovation in the city. You know, it's a really welcoming place that uh, that values innovation and um, can be a place that someone with good ideas can really thrive. So so Dallas itself was a huge driver in the decision to come to AT&T Performing Arts Center. That's fantastic. And Texas really is. And I, you know, I'm from, I'm not from Texas either. And there isn't a welcoming, you know, if you've got ideas, people want them. And to me, I think that's why so many, there are so many thriving nonprofit scenes throughout Texas is, is that that, in spirit, that spirit is really wholly embraced as an ethos, not just, you know, within the individual cities, but also within, you know, the culture of the state of Texas. So I think it's, I'm really glad that you brought that up. And, you know, I want to, you know, we'll, we'll start with Warren because you touched upon it, but Chris, I also want to hear you, you know, hear your thoughts on it too. But, you know, you had talked about your passion for music, Warren. So talk a little bit about what, why you're passionate about the performing arts, where that comes from, and you know what you want to, you know what you want people to be able to experience when they experience art in, you know, at the AT&T Performing Arts Center or even the Arts District in Dallas as a whole. I think at its best, the arts bring people together and help them make sense of their world. And whether this be theater 
or dance or music or opera. Ultimately, the arts is telling stories that come from a place in the artist that is very personal to them. And it's an interpretation of what they're seeing. And not just through the experience of seeing the art, but in talking about what you've experienced, there can be some really transformational impact for people in making sense of difficult issues. I think also the arts ground people in some experience in their past. I think we all can remember where we were the first time we saw, we, we heard a piece of music that spoke to us or saw a piece of theater that uh, spoke to us. And uh, I know for me, there's a, there's a nostalgia piece when I go and see a, a classic band that was meaningful to me when I was younger, it has different meaning to me um, at my current age. Uh, I, I think, you know, last year at uh, Newport music festival, Joni Mitchell came out of, uh, out of retirement and, did a wonderful surprise uh, performance with Brandy Carlisle and some, some other great musicians and singing songs that she wrote when she was 20. Now that she's in her late seventies and has had health problems, the same lyrics had completely different meaning. And it was just such a powerful moment to understand the life of this incredible woman through this music while also kind of reminding, you know, where was I the first time I heard both sides now or listen to blue or, you know, one of these pieces that was meaningful to me personally. So I think through the art, we can really just gain meaning. I love that. And I love how you talk about how certain pieces of art speak to you and they carry you through, you know, your life. And for a lot of people, art saves their lives in a lot of ways because it allows them to focus on a light when they do go through, you know, they go through a period of darkness. And I really appreciate you, you know, sharing about that. And, you know, Chris, I'd love for you to share a little bit about, you know, your passion about, you know, performing arts and, you know, kind of where that stems from for you. Well, um, you know, I fell in love with the arts at a very young age. I remember seeing my mother <clears throat> in a play and thinking, and there were kids in the play. And I remember sitting there thinking, why am, why am I not in that play? <laughs> you know. So I got a degree in theater and uh, did that, made a little bit of a living for a while in Los Angeles, but quickly came to the conclusion that I'm the type of person who has to know where my paycheck is coming from. So not a good fit. Went back to school, went through journalism and got a degree in journalism and in political science. But again, started covering this. But I've always, everywhere I've worked, I've always enjoyed going to the theater, going to the symphony, seeing something different and unusual. And when I came here, you know, there was certainly a vibrant scene and certainly things moving and, and in motion for the arts district. And, you know, what was exciting, and this is, you know, we have at the center, we have five resident companies. And that is the Dallas Opera, the da which is in the Opera House, uh, Texas Ballet Theater, also in the Opera House, uh, Dallas Theater Center, which is in the Wiley, Dallas Black Dance Theater, which performs in the Wiley, and Anita Martinez Ballet Folklorico. So we have these five incredible anchors here, but we also have Titus Dance Unbound, which is a dance presenter and brings the most amazing dance companies to Dallas. So they're a partner. We bring Broadway tours. We partner with Broadway Dallas 
as well. And there, for instance, they've got Hamilton coming for five weeks in May, but it's going to be at the Winsfair Opera House for the first time ever. And that's probably the best place to see Hamilton. But on top of that, we, of course, do concerts, but we also present small and emerging arts groups through our elevator project program. So you see groups up for the very first time in Dallas, some just incredible groups that end up performing on our stages. So there is a, a really wide spectrum of things you can see at the center, which for me has made it just incredibly, I mean, I've been doing it for 12 years. It is so exciting because you get to see it all here. And it just speaks to the, as, as Warren said earlier, it speaks to the vibrancy of our cultural ecosystem here in Dallas, certainly in the arts district, but well beyond the arts district as well. That's really, you know, that's amazing. And I love how you talked about, there's so many different components that go into it. And there's a wide range of programming too. And just to be able to hear Hamilton in that space and how y'all got them for five weeks, bravo, pun intended, because that's the title of your gala. Because <laughs> I know at Austin, I think they were lucky to get two. So, I mean, awesome that, you know, people are going to be able to get to experience that and some lucky people probably more than once, you know, and that actually, you know, that I think this is a good segue to actually talk a little bit more about, you know, the gala that's coming up, the Bravo gala and, you know, talk a little bit about how you all, and, you know, feel free, e each of you feel free to jump in, but how you all successfully integrate programming into your gala so that your donors are engaged, they're excited, and they want to continue to support the AT&T Performing Arts Center. Yeah. So I think for us, it started with thinking about what could we do that would stand out in a very crowded Dallas gala scene. Uh, I think you know, Rob, that uh, um, Dallas is a mecca for a really interesting um, galas and events and uh, uh, you know from you know when we're speaking right now in October through to the end of the year there's multiple galas every week so we needed something that would stand out and um, really represent the best of what we had and we decided to focus in on our resident companies themselves and our gala takes the form of a tour through the performances from our resident companies culminating in a performance uh, from someone that's been brought in from the outside, typically from from Broadway, although we've done other 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 things as well. This year, Lake Street Dive will be our uh, our featured presenter. But again, that is one just one of the performances of the night. We have all five of our resident companies will do something during cocktails um, or uh, or dinner to to engage engage people, and we have people moving throughout the facility as well so that it's not just all happening in one room it starts in the lobby it moves up to the pnc members lounge moves on to our uh, uh, to our restaurant space and back into the lobby and then onto the stage for for dinner and a final performance this year with lake street dive we also had the opportunity lake street was performing the night before and they happen to be, in addition to being a great artist for people to buy individual tickets to, they're a great gala band. And uh, so we made a, a very favorable deal with them to keep them here for another night to entertain our guests at the gala in addition to the public performances happening the night before. I think that for us has been the kind of the, 
the secret sauce for making our gala. Because as Warren said, there's a wide range of really great galas out there. And, um, and I will say that our first chairs, um, Sophia Johnson and Lael Brodsky, really, they really were responsible and a great deal for setting the tone. And they wanted to leverage both the incredible resident companies and performances and leverage our incredible space by having these different performances on different levels of the lobby. So you get drinks in hand and you just kind of move. One finishes here, you go up to the next floor. There's Dallas Black Dance performing, you go up to the next floor, theater center, the opera is doing something. And it's just this constant showcase of our resident companies which are just, I mean, that's why we're here. These were built for our resident companies. And so showcasing them, and then of course, an amazing performance. And that performance generally, you know, has been taking place on the stage, but not with the crowd in the audience, they're up on the stage with the artists. So it's just, again, really utilizing this space and the magic that is in the Windspear Opera House and our incredible resident companies and all the talent and putting all that together. And that what is what just has captured the imagination of everyone coming going, this is a really different gala. It's not just coming in, doing your banquet, doing something and out the door. This is an experience that you don't want to miss. It's amazing how the two of you, and you explained it so well, how you know, you've got five different companies, like you said, in there, but you have them each perform in a different space because maybe it's the size of, you know, a particular company, maybe smaller or larger, the acoustics can match. But it also, what I love about it from a guest perspective is every time you go from one room to another, I know how it is when there's, you know, a couple hundred people kind of going from space to space. It allows for better mingling because you're you're not going to be talking to someone at cocktails the whole time, you're gonna wind up talking to somebody else because invariably you're just moving. And that's just kind of what happens when you move from space to space. And it just allows new conversations to be forged. I'm sure for, for you all, you know, work, you know, as members of the organization, it allows you to engage with multiple donors in different ways. It also allows you, you if you know a specific donor likes a particular company, it allows you to really kind of get them in a space to where they're gonna be really much more open to hearing about new initiatives or things that you may have, as well as having fun. So I think that's really just brilliant how you all do that. And so intricately, but yet so naturally, um, it's almost like a river, just, you know, a boat flowing down the river. It just, it allows you to go from space to space. And I think that's incredible. And it culminates, you know, um, and Warren touched upon this, it culminates on the Windspear Opera House stage, which is probably one of the two or three most majestic stages in the United States of any any performing arts venue. So, you know, talk a little bit about how this unique experience, being able to dine on a stage, and if anyone hasn't done that, it, it's really, if you get to do it once in your life and you get invited, go do it because it really is special. How does that help create buzz and excitement around the event to have such a unique perspective when you're dining during the meal? I think when you, well, guests like to be insiders and when you're sitting on a stage you're seeing a perspective of the house that you don't normally get to see 
as an audience member. Now you're on the stage looking to where the audience would be seating. You're seeing uh, the iconic Moody chandelier from a different vantage point. You're seeing all the backstage equipment and uh, um, all the, the the ropes and and equipment and, and soundboards. All lit. The ring, yeah, it, 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 you're seeing the the back of house wings that uh, would not normally be part of how someone experiences, and and that 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 is fun for everyone. I mean, that's you know, I'm I'm on stage a fair bit, but I still love being on the stage and seeing what what happens there. I think it's just a different perspective and it's the kind of thing that you're not going to get in a hotel ballroom um, that leverages our space you know the the pro museum does this very well as as well in in bringing people in their gala which similarly moves people through into back rooms that are not normally open to the public and uh, making you feel like you're being an insider i think that's that's part of the allure there i think the zoo does this well as as well and that that's it's one of these things that can distinguish us and really take advantage of our uh, of our space and give a compelling opportunity for people. And I don't think people realize how, um, if you've ever been in a theater in New York on Broadway, they're not very deep. They're actually pretty shallow. And this, because it was built for opera to work in repertoire where there are giant spaces off to the side and in back, you know, to be able to house sets that you're moving back and forth um, when all of a sudden you're on the stage. And these are, again, dramatically uplit with color and all sorts of things back there. You're seeing something that nobody almost ever sees. And it's done in a way because we want to share that with you. We want you to see it. And so all of a sudden you're back there now dining in this incredible space and looking out and seeing what an uh, an artist normally sees that beautiful you know uh, uh, performance space you know McDermott Hall um, now there's not people in it but you kind of look out and see the way that the the gold balconies wrap around and the chandelier drops down and and what's also awesome is our chandelier people usually because that can move and do different colors and they do an entire show with the chandelier kind of backing up the artist. So one time we had an artist who she, she goes, you were all looking so amazed. And then she goes, and I turned around and saw what you were looking at. (laughs) (laughs) She had no idea that was going on behind her. I, I love what I like about what you both just said is, and you talked about something I don't think it's talked enough about in the donor experience. I think a lot of times when people are fundraising, they most often will get donors to talk about the things that are in front of them. And I love what you are talking about, Warren, when you were explaining, Chris, you as well, about you're taking them kind of behind the scenes with the things that give the AT&T Performing Arts Center and any arts organization its additional depth. And that actually may speak to someone a little bit more personally because they may have had their own experience. So it allows them to really kind of see the inner workings that can really connect with the donor in ways that you may not even be able to be aware of because you learn something new about them because it may come from some experience that they had when they were a child or a teenager that you just may not be aware of because it's not in public records or who they present themselves as today. And I think that's incredible. So With that, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, when I was looking at your all's host committee this year, 
you all have really an impressive list of folks. And you've also got two really incredible chairs. You've got Diane Brearley and um, Ellen Winspear. So talk about the importance of having a good host committee in creating a successful gala. We're, we're fortunate that in Ellen and Diane, that they, between the two of them, have probably been to hundreds of galas in Dallas and know what it takes to connect with people and provide a real memorable experience. And importantly, what it takes to convince someone to give and at what level. They've been very engaged chairs. They are not chairs in name only. They are chairs who are um, intimately involved in thinking through details from the food to the run of show of the evening to how we've priced tables to the sequence in which we've gone out to people. And they're really leveraging their experience as a customer, if you will, of, of galas. Uh, I think it's important. So, you know, they are active chairs. They're willing to make phone calls and all the things that really, you know, distinguish again, kind of chair and name versus a real active chair. Now, all that said, there's nothing wrong with chair and name. Um, and they also bring the name. And clearly it's meaningful when someone that you respect, um, especially if it's someone who you want coming to your own organization's gala, reaches out to you with an ask, you're going to pay extra attention to that. that. That invitation matters to people. And I think that's true of everyone on the host committee. Uh, the right names there, um, it's meaningful when they when they make that ask. So I think the, the combination of the chairs, the host committee, and I'd also say the honoree as well, um, you know, all the more reasons for people to, and again, in a, in a crowded gala landscape, it's great that we have a entertaining, enjoyable evening, but it's meaningful to guests to know that they were personally asked by someone they really respect. Great answer. Great answer. And Chris, yeah. do you have anything to add with that? Well, I just, I, I, you know, you talk about the key to having a successful fundraiser, which of course, part of that is telling your message. Part of that is raising money to support your mission and what you want to do and having, um, hosts who make a point of picking up the phone and they will make the calls. I remember Morgan Cox was um, one of our uh, hosts last year, he and his husband, and he came in and I mean, he just got in here and he worked the phones. I was so impressed. He just absolutely worked the phones, made the calls, got people to buy tables. And, um, and many of them were not regular arts patrons either. He got he tapped other friends and brought them in, which now engaged us with more new people. Um, so, it, uh, you know, and and Diane and Ellen are like that. They they work it like that. And like I said, fortunately, you know, we're still very new in this. This is um, our fifth gala. So, we, you know, we kind of started and then COVID happened and then we started back up again. <laughs> but um so it's still fresh. It's still fun. It's still exciting. And we have been blessed to have had hosts from the start who are people who will pick up the phone. They know what it takes to make a fundraiser a success. And they also have a little bit of pride because they are not going to be the ones where people didn't turn out. They make sure they work <laughs> very hard because they want to make sure they had the best turnout ever. 
Absolutely. You know, I would add to what Chris said. I think the, the there's a real importance in a gala to be successful in bringing new faces into the center. So you know, naturally, board members and long-term supporters are, are going to fill up a big chunk of the of the revenue piece, but who they invite as their guests and who they invite and encourage to buy a table who don't know anything or, or limited information about the organization, that creates a pipeline. You know, as an example, I was at, yeah, at one of the three galas I went to last week. Uh, you know, I, was, I was invited by um, a supporter of the center to be guests at their table. And it was an organization I didn't really know anything about. And by the end of the evening, I was prepared to, to write a you know, relatively small check to this organization um, to to reinforce that I was impressed by what they were doing, and also, um, you know, as a as a measure of gratitude to the host who who invited me. And I think that you know that could form a relationship with myself and that organization. And 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 again, that's just for a lowly nonprofit executive. Imagine that when when we're inviting in folks who have capacity to do to do a lot more. It's a great opportunity to to make new friends. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, that goes to the next question I want to talk about here. And that is, you know, let's talk a little bit about what someone can expect to experience at this year's gala. And, you know, how do you make it so that the new ones feel welcome and the ones that are coming for the fifth time are excited and, you know, want to come back for time number six? So I'd love for you all to, you know, share, you know, kind of a little bit of what guests can expect at this year's Bravo Gala. Chris, we'll start with you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, we, we always try to, you know, mix it up a little bit. So it's not exactly the same. So, of course, we'll have the artists or resident companies pick what they want to perform. So those performances are always a little different. And um, in the past, we have generally had our dinner in the lobby. So this is the first year that we have actually had it on the stage. Usually it's gone in the lobby and then we've moved in there for kind of cocktails and dessert for the performance and kind of to recognize our honorees. Well, this time we're moving the dinner in there. So you get to spend more time in that just elegant, exciting, you know, glimpse of backstage space. And so that's a big piece of this. And then we'll have a little after party, which we haven't done before. We'll have an after party in the lobby which is exciting because usually we'll wrap up and everyone's still wanting to, to have a good time. Boogie on down. So now yeah. we're going to move that okay. out and that, that'll be kind of, so again, we try to mix it up a little bit. So it's not always the same. There are little surprises and you're always going to have one group that wants to hang out. And then there's a group that it's time to go home, but either way, we're trying to make sure that everybody continues having a good time. and doesn't feel they need to just dash out the door. The, the other change we're making this year, and it's a small point, but I think it's an important one. Rob, earlier you talked about the um, the importance of uh, the networking that happens and kind of the force changes as we as we move. One piece of feedback we received last year is that the transition times were so tight that people didn't get enough of that uh, of that networking with other guests. So we're extending the time in between transitions and opening the doors a half hour earlier to allow for a more organic uh, movement of, of space, make it a little bit less, a uh, little bit less rushed. Yeah, that's, cause that's important. You'll be sitting there in the lobby and wrapping one performance up and you'll hear another one starting and you're like, oh, I got to scoot up the stairs. And so as Warren said, it's giving a little more time for people to move from one 
one level to the next to catch the next performance. And allowing people to, you know, breathe and kind of, because it, it really is such a stunning space that really will, I, I think it will definitely enhance everyone's user experience just because they get to really absorb the whole space, you know, in, in a in a little bit of a deeper way than they have in years past. And I love how that will keep the people have gone five times coming back, you know, for the sixth time. And, you know, we're, we're running short on time, but I want to end with this one question for each of you. And that is, you know, what is a piece of advice um, that each of you um, can give to someone looking to plan their first ga gala or signature fundraiser? And we'll start with Chris and we'll end with Warren. I'd say um, take chances. You know, when we first started envisioning this, we started thinking, oh, we'll do a regular gala because we hadn't had one and would do this. But Sophia Johnson and Lael Brodsky pushed us to push the envelope. And we ended up with an absolutely stunning gala that is memorable that people love coming to they talk about it afterwards for a long time and it it you know don't be afraid to push the envelope and um and try something new in the terms of the way you present it but i would also say keep it true to who you are you know we're a performing arts organization that supports as as warren said you know these artistic spaces and we provide them to our resident company so having those folks engaged that stays true to who we are as an organization and our mission great answer and warren i would get back to what we talked about earlier rob there are so many events in in dallas again i went to three galas last week alone and we're just getting started in gala season um, when this is being recorded and i think you have to really step back and say what is it about this gala that's going to draw people in. And the best place to start is what are your strengths? What's the most compelling thing your organization can do in telling its story and giving someone an experience that they might not be able to, to get when obviously if you have your own space, the space would be a big piece, but if you're renting a hotel ballroom um, or another space, you know, what's the most interesting space you can offer and what can you do from an entertainment and education standpoint that really highlights what's special about your organization because the, the sad truth is these things can start blending together after a while as you go to so many of them and you want to be the one that people remember and when they're deciding between two or three things on the same night and i even had that situation last last week two things i wanted to go to on the same night um which one are you going to choose it's going to be the one that that has a special memory for you that uh, that was a little bit different and the special memories is what I would like to call a mic drop moment as we as we um as we end this episode. So um you know Warren Chris I can't thank you enough. We literally could have probably done a double episode. You guys are just both so knowledgeable and forthcoming, and you know I really appreciate you both taking the time today. So Chris Warren, thank you very much for joining us. Thank, thank you, you Rob. And the AT and T Performing Arts Center's Bravo Gala will be held on November eighteenth, twenty twenty three at the Winspear Opera House in Dallas, Texas. For more information, please visit attpac.org. And that will do it for this episode of Fun and Fundraising. I'm your host, Rob Giardinelli, reminding you to keep it fun, keep it interesting, and your guests will have a great time. Have a great day, everyone, and take care. <laughs>